Hello and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show. Our goal of the show is to educate, eradicate, and dismantle racism. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We at this show have a goal of really wanting to help you to uh, promote racial equity. We want to see a world where it exists for everyone, not just for some people. As always, I want to thank you for listening in, and I want to invite you to subscribe to the show if you've not already done so. And if you have, thank you very much. And I would love for you to tell others about the show because we are streaming here at Talk Radio NYC, but we're over all the social media platforms. And we are on your favorite, favorite, favorite streaming platforms as well. So please tell other people to subscribe to the show. We also would love to hear your comments. So make sure that while the show is going on, that you take the time to comment on YouTube, on LinkedIn, uh, wherever it is that you are watching the show from. Please make sure that you comment. And again, I want you to tell others about the show as well. I want to invite you to go to sacredintelligence.com where you can learn more about me and my platform, where you can pick up a copy of my book. If you've not already done so yet, please pick it up because if you're interested in going the long haul in dismantling racism, I have some tidbits in there that's going to help you on what I call the sacred intelligence journey of faith because it takes faith to do this work. Faith in something greater than you and I, faith in ourselves and faith in other people to understand that we can get through this together. And you have people who are here and willing to help you, just like the guests who are on my show who are always adding really good advice for us. And so I want to just again, thank you for listening in. And we're going to start the show today as we always do. And that is by going into meditation. If you're a longtime listener of the show, or even if you've listened before, you know the reason why we engage in meditation and the reason why I go through a breathing exercise with you is simply because some of the information that we talk about on the show can be very triggering. It's always important to go back to your breath. If you're going to have a difficult conversation with someone, it's always important for you to center yourself to ground yourself. And we start by recognizing our breath. So it's just a tool that we use to help to level us out a bit so we can start a conversation, so we can continue a conversation, so we can get through a conversation. So if you can, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes just for a moment. And I want you to take a deep breath in. Just hold it for a moment. Then I want you to exhale. Take another deep breath in and hold it. And exhale. And this time when you take a breath in, I want you to find your normal rhythm of breathing. And connect with your divine wisdom your sacred intelligence, that part of you that helps you to manifest your greatness while helping others to do the same. 
So just breathe in and out, connecting with that, which helps you to make intelligent choices. Breathe in and out, being reminded that you share this space with others. Your breath is connected to others. Breathe in and out. Connecting with those people who've come before us. Connecting with the people who are here with us now, who love and support us. Connecting with the people who are listening to this show. And just breathe in and out. Knowing that you are loved and you are love itself. Breathe in and out. Recognizing that you have the power to change the status quo. Breathe in and out, recognizing that the power of one contributes to the power of community. And now take another deep, deep breath in and hold it. And then let it out. And we say, and so it is, Ashe, Amen. I hope you feel better. I always feel better after uh, I do that. And it also helps my guest and I to get prepared for our conversation as well. Today, we are going to be talking about legalized hate. You know, in the Black community and the African-American community, we often use a term about it's a crime being Black because when we're just walking down the street, we might get stopped for some reason. When we're driving down the highway, we might get stopped for a reason. When we're in the stores, we might get stopped for a reason and accused of something. And so we know that the legalized system doesn't work very well for us. But in actuality, hate has been legalized because my guest today is going to be talking about the story of Jacob Vanderpoel. He was the only person to be legally exiled from the Oregon Territory for being Black in a state that prohibited Black residents for over 75 years. I just want you to think about that. I want you to let the gravity of that hit you. Because when people wonder why Black people, people of African descent, are talking about race constantly and why we are being treated the way we are. And they'll say, you're playing the race card. The whole deck is racial. It's been stacked against us since we were first brought to these shores. There are remnants of that that are remaining, not just for people of color, but in the ways in which white people treat us and show up. And it's unconscious because there's implicit bias. We live in a society that is steeped in racism. This man was tried for being Black. But my guest today, Sarah Sanderson, 
who is the author of The Place We Make. It's kind of hard for you to see my book today because it's it's, uh, blurred out, but it's The Place We Make, Breaking the Legacy of Legalized Hate by Sarah Sanderson. She tells the story in here of Jacob, but not only does she tell Jacob's story, the second story that she tells is of discovering that her own white family members participated in exiling Vanderpool, which prompted her to go on a journey of discovering and dismantling her own internalized racism. So she's going to be talking about that in our show today. Of course, she's a writer and a speaker who lives in Oregon. And this is her first book. We are excited to have her on the show today. I know that we're going to be coming up for a break in just a minute, but Sarah, I want to take just a moment to welcome you to the show. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. I am super excited to to get into this conversation with you um, and, and, and just kind of talk a little bit about uh, your discoveries. But first, tell me a little bit and our audience a little bit about who you are and how this came to be in the first place. So I am, uh, I would say a pretty unlikely person to write this book. I mean, I was a stay-at-home mom, pastor's wife, former elementary school teacher. I was just kind of living my life um, in sort of, a lot of white bubbles. I had a mostly white church. My kids went to mostly white schools. I lived in a mostly white suburb. Um, and this story kind of just reached out and bopped me on the head. And especially once I realized that my own family members were connected and involved, I, I just, I couldn't turn away from it. And it, I didn't know at the beginning that I was writing a book. Um, I just became interested in this history. And after six years of doing the research and kind of getting sucked into the story and finding out more and more, and then looking at my own life more and more, it became a book. So here it is. So how, how, how did it just bop you on the head? Well, really, it was guy. Right. Um, It really, it was when I moved back to Oregon. I was born here in Oregon. I have family who've been in Oregon for generations, but um, I moved away for most of my life. And I lived in places like Minneapolis and Chicago and New Jersey, where even though I was still in my own mostly white bubbles in those places, there were other people around. Um, And so it, it didn't. I didn't realize quite how white my bubbles were because mm. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm part of this world and I'm rubbing shoulders with all these different people. And then I moved back to Oregon and I just looked around and I was like, wait, what, what happened? It's so white here. Mm. Why? Mm. Yeah. And I mentioned that to my brother and he said, Sarah, didn't you know that Oregon has a history of anti-Black exclusion laws? And I was like, no, I had no idea. Mm. So that was what really grabbed me. I thought, I've got to find out more about this place that I'm from, that I'm living in again. And I really just started Googling and hit this name, Jacob Vanderpool. And it 
it just, I mean, it really did. It felt like it just jumped off of the computer screen at me. Like, look at this. So, well, so, so here's what's interesting because, uh, you might never have questioned mm-hmm. being in a mostly white area or largely white, uh, area had you not left yeah and come back because yeah. it was so stark and striking and what's interesting is many white people don't ask that question right why mm-hmm. is my area mostly white or yeah why is history told the way it is mm-hmm. and the, truth of the matter is that's why our children need to be educated yes we have laws that are starting to come into place where you cannot teach history yeah. From that perspective, because people are worried about how white kids are going to feel. Mm-hmm. Hear this. Well, that's another form. Absolutely. And oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say you're it's all about the history. And that was what I didn't know until I started researching it was that, you know, I had been swimming in these sort of arguments. And I don't know that I actually formed these for myself, but I certainly heard people say like, you know, that, that was in the past. Like, why doesn't everybody just, you know, just deal with it, right. And move on. And when I started to look at the history and how pervasive, Mm. long and how egregious it was like, I just, I never knew. I never know. Sarah, we're going to come back and we want to, I'm going to pick up and and talking about that, but we need to take a quick break. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. We'll be right back with my guest, Sarah Sanderson. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a high-achieving, growth-oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mara Bronco, host of The Hard Skills on talkradio.nyc at 1 p.m. Eastern on Fridays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to The Hard Skills on Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and intangify your business today. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
We're back with my guest today, Sarah Sanderson, who wrote The Place We Make. Sarah, what was it about you when you heard this news? Because a lot of people hear history and they don't take six years to research it. What would you say to my listening audience to help them understand the importance of going the next step when we hear something like this? So I think what really prepared me to go on that journey was something that happened to me 20 years ago. And again, as you mentioned, it was all about leaving and seeing things in a new way and then coming back. And so when I was more than 20 years ago, so when I was 20 years old, um, I when I was in college, I spent a semester in Malawi in East Africa. And I was full of like, you know, confidence and um, my self-worth was wrapped up in thinking of myself as like a good white person. You know, I was going to go and save all those little African babies. And I, my first morning in Malawi, I woke up, I looked out the window there was a group of men just standing, sitting under a tree. And the first thought that came into my head was, this is a dangerous place. Mm. And then the second thought I had was, you only think that because they're black. Yeah. And I had no idea. I had no idea that that was a lie that was in my own brain. And so it was, you know, and I think that if I had had that thought somewhere in the U.S., like, oh, this is a dangerous place, I, I would have run it through another cultural filter, like, oh, it's the alleys or the gang colors, or, you know, like, there would have been something else to separate me from this racism right. that had landed in my own self. But when I was in Africa, none of that, you know, it was just like this beautiful, sunny, tropical place. And when I realized that I thought it was a dangerous place, then I was able to see, oh, that's white supremacy mm-hmm. that's lodged itself in me. And so I sat with that for decades, um, but didn't really know what to do with it or how to, but it was, but I knew it was there. And so that awareness. And then when, when I started researching Jacob Vanderpool, it was like, okay, I'm going to pick up, what I first realized in Malawi and Mm. and because I knew like it had been sitting in me for so long, I just knew, all right, it's time. I've got to figure this out. So, you know, it's interesting because obviously you are the type of person who thinks deeply about things. And I think one of the things we want to encourage our listening audience to do is to find that stuff that's uncomfortable and shake it up a little bit and mm-hmm. to, to keep mm-hmm. thinking about it because there are other people who would have looked out of out that window and they would have thought it and still just kept mm. going. And mm. so I'm glad that you were paying attention, being in tune, and which is which is really the other thing that I talk about when I'm doing the meditations with folks is mm. with that inner mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. of you. So now so now you 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 learn this information when your brother shocks you. Mm-hmm. Tell us about then how you discovered your family's involvement and then what that was like for yeah. you like emotionally, yeah. psychologically. So I, 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 
I had started to research Jacob Vanderpool and I knew that this had happened in Oregon City, which is a town just right around the corner from me. The first incorporated city west of the Rocky Mountains, the end of the Oregon Trail. I mean, it was like first anything in the Mm -hmm. West was in Oregon City, even though today it's just this tiny little suburb. I mean, it's proud of itself, but, you know, it's not really a destination anymore. Um, But it was a major destination for everybody who was coming over on the Oregon Trail. So. Anyway, I knew that Jacob Vanderpool's story had happened in Oregon City. And one day, um, actually, interestingly, I I just was scrolling back on my phone and I found the the first picture I took of this and I realized I took it on my birthday. So I was on a birthday stroll with my family, just, just walking through Oregon City. And I looked at one of the houses on the cliff there and there was one of those historic plaques on the house. Mm-hmm. You know how it'll say, like, the such-and-such such house. Yeah. And it said the Lauderette house. And I was like, wait, that's my grandmother's maiden name. Mm. And I had no idea. I mean, I just, like, I, I knew that that was her maiden name, but I didn't know that I was connected to this town that I'm now living around the corner mm. from. Yeah. And so I called up my aunts and I said, uh, do we have family from Oregon City? And they're like, yes. <laughs> I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so then I started and my aunt sent me a picture of this family tree that kind of details like all the lotterettes through all the hundreds of years. I mean, we've been here for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so I start looking at this family tree and it says like who came over on the Oregon Trail when? And and so th- I started to get into my genealogy. and. And then when I realized like, oh, these people were here at that same time. Yeah. Like I've got this one interest, Jacob Vanderpool. And then I've got this other new interest, like, oh, my family came over on the Oregon Trail. I didn't even know. And then when I put them together and started imagining them in the same town at the same time, then I started to realize this is personal for me. And, and I need to take responsibility for it in a different way. Mm. So, so what was the emotion that came up for you when you discovered this? There was a lot of shame and there was a lot of fear. Mm. Um, I, you know, and writing the book, I kind of hit on this structure for the book that I kind of go back and forth between these people in 1851 who were part of this case. And then each one of those stories kind of, I use that to look at a different thing inside myself. And Mm -hmm. so I look at John McLaughlin who founded Oregon city. And then I look at my own ignorance and I look at Theophilus Magruder who pressed charges against Jacob Vanderpool. And then I look at my own selfishness and greed and the privilege that I've received. And, and so, so I, I wanted to look at that. But I also felt a lot of shame about it. And I felt a lot of fear that, I mean, as I was writing, there were all of these voices in my head. And I could imagine, you know, somebody might say, you know, oh, how dare you even like talk about racism anyway? You know, like, why are you even making a big deal of it? So that was one voice that I heard in my head. And, And then there was this other voice that I was really afraid that people of color would read about my implicit biases and think like, oh, we have nothing to do with you. Like, how dare you have those thoughts? And 
And then, I mean, you know, it's just, there are all these, this chorus of possible responses that I. And those are very real responses. Yes. How did you go through it? Because I think our audience would find that important. How do you get beyond the shame and the fear Mm -hmm. to to that next step? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it really, you know, I appreciate that you're talking about faith because it really did feel like I had to believe that God was pulling me forward Mm. and saying to me, like, you have nothing to lose. Like, I love you. I'm with you. Like, and it really, I did have to think like, I I have nothing to lose. Like I'm, I'm not some big celebrity with a big platform and I'm going to get canceled. Like if I get canceled, I go back to substituting in the kindergarten down the street. Like it doesn't matter. Right. So it was, it was a lot of that. It was trusting in my own belovedness and realizing that I had nothing to lose. Well, I appreciate you saying that you had nothing to lose, but since we're, since you're a woman of faith, you will get this particularly since your husband is a minister and you know, I'm, I am as well Mm -hmm. and a Presbyterian Mm -hmm. one in my book, I talk about Esther Mm. who obviously had much to lose if she Mm -hmm. did or Mm -hmm. whether she did or didn't, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, save the Jews. But here's the thing. Esther temporarily wanted to stay in her privilege. Mm -hmm. And what I hear you saying, like when people talk about this fear and trying to decide if they're going to make a decision, the fear is, am I going to lose my privilege? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And rather than asking the question, are we going to lose it? The question is, what will happen to other people if I lose? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I'm glad that you decided that you were going to go ahead and write the book anyway. And so um, how did your life change after uh, you really discovered that your relatives? So you started to say a little bit about um, learning about them, but how do you think your life changed when you're like, oh my goodness, this really is, um, my family was involved. And you said the words, I had to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. So what does taking responsibility mean? And, and and we'll start, but I know we're going to have to take a break in just a few minutes. Uh, well, yeah. In about a minute. So why don't we start with you sharing a bit of that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think first of all, taking responsibility involved connecting the dots between the history and my own heart and really being willing to examine like, okay, what really is here that I try to ignore? Mm. And it felt like that was the work that I had to do before I could do the work of helping anybody else in my community or, you know what I mean? It was like this all in myself needs to be dealt with before I can start to do anything that makes a difference for anybody else. Yes, exactly. And that's what I talk about. Even in my book, I'm like, you have to heal the separation, Mm -hmm. you know, of, of, of racism that, that exists between you and the next person that has to start in the inside. So I really appreciate that. And so what what you've really been talking about today is this awareness that we first must have, obviously, to to even do to dismantle racism and then owning mm-hmm. our own part mm-hmm. in the perpetuation mm-hmm. of racism, mm-hmm. really, because mm-hmm. you can't do anything about your ancestors. Right. You can do something about yourself. Right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about some of the steps that we need to take to repair the past. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. So I am here today with my guest, Sarah Sanderson. She has written a book, The Place We Make, Breaking the Legacy of Legalized Hate. We'll be right back with the Dismantle Racism Show. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We are back with the Dismantle Racism Show. Um, Sarah, before the break, I mentioned that I would love for you to talk a little bit about um, how we repair the past. But before we do that, I don't. I want people to buy your book. So, of course, um, we don't want to give away everything in the book. But, you know, how did Jacob's life change after the trial? Because he was tried for being Black and he was no longer able to be a resident in that town. So tell us about a little bit about him. Yeah. So his business was taken away. His, his ability to, to make, um, you know, to make a life for himself. Um, and he was forced to leave the state of Oregon and, um, it took a lot of digging and a lot of help from my friends at, uh, Oregon black pioneers. Um, but I was able to find out that he did return to New York where he had a wife and three young children. And I don't know, but I imagine that why he went to Oregon in the first place was that he was hoping to establish uh, a, a place where he could bring his family. And so it's not just about how did life change for him, although that was devastating to have his business removed and his dreams were squashed. But then also there's these like, 
generations of his future children and grandchildren who could have stayed here in Oregon. You know, my family came over on the Oregon Trail and stayed and became Oregon's judges and mayors and teachers and lawyers, you know, all kinds of things. I mean, there are lotterettes in all sorts of places around Oregon. There's a park named after one of my cousins. It's over in Oregon City, you know. And so just comparing those two, the the Vanderpools and the Lauderettes, the Lauderettes are still here. The Vanderpools are not. And so that changed what Oregon is and not just the Vanderpools, but all of the other African-Americans who, I mean, we know of at least one African-American who came over on the Oregon Trail, heard about the exclusion law, and then turned and went north to Seattle because he thought, okay, I'm not welcome there. So the, the, both the people who were actually physically sent out and the ones who never came at all, I mean, we, we changed what this place is. We, I mean, they, my ancestors, right? They changed well, and, what and this place is. And I think that's is. a part of what we're doing now with with the laws that we're changing now. We're actually trying to make it white again. So when yes. we say things like make it great again, we're talking about make it white mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. and even though that's not the slogan anymore, we see with the laws and the policies, the, the really the policies that are changing. It really is about mm-hmm. making sure that white people um, yeah. are going to stay at the top mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. of the pile. Yeah. Okay? yeah. So, to, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and to bring it to the present. I mean, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to say like, well, that happened a long time ago. Like, is it really still here? Last night, I was sitting in the bleachers of my high school soccer stadium, talking to a friend of one of my kids. He's black. He's been adopted into a white family. He's here in this white town. He goes to this, you know, mostly white school and he's getting racially bullied. And this is probably, I mean, I was talking to him about this yesterday. Like this is still, I know it's not news to you, but it's still happening. And I think sometimes for those of us who are white, we we're just not aware it's still happening. And And, and here's what's interesting when we talk about that, because this is what people who adopt transracially don't mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. because they will say, well, love is love. And then they never pick up a book. I'm not saying this happened with your friend, but but many never pick up a book mm-hmm. to even look at race, mm-hmm. to even look at how you connect with a child who's of a different race than you and what they might experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that actually is perpetuating mm-hmm. white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because people say, well, love is love. Yes, and love <laughs> is love. But when you love someone, here's the next step that you right. need to go to. Right. Because you have to understand how that history is going to impact how people show up mm-hmm. and how that child shows mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And what happens when that child doesn't show up in a way that says, well, wait a minute, I know what race I am, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No race is a social construct, but based on society, if yeah. that child shows up in a different way that they don't acknowledge or understand who they are, it's just troubles down the road. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But um, I thank you for giving that example. And there are many, many other examples mm-hmm. we can give mm-hmm. to show mm-hmm. that as well. Uh, now talk a little bit about repair. Mm-hmm. How do we 
repair the past? How do yeah. we create this world <clears throat> where things like that don't continue to happen? Yeah. So I, I mean, on one level, I want to say like, I don't know, and I'm still figuring it out. Right. Um, but the, the steps that are sort of opening themselves to me are to look at our, my very specific history and my very specific community context. Mm. And I think that that's important because it's easy to, to look at the whole thing and say, this is too big. This is too much. Like, what can I do about something that's happening on the other side of the world or the country or whatever? But every single store, every single place has a story. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for I would encourage the listeners today to look about to look at like your family, your church, your city, your community, your club, your neighborhood and maybe do a little digging like what what were the bylaws? What's on the deed? What did grandma used to say? You know, like what are the specific things that have built the places that and the groups and the communities that we inhabit? And then I think once we begin to find those questions out, then the steps to repair will be a little more obvious because they're they're local. Yeah. Yeah. So like there's a town in uh Waldport, Waldport, Oregon. It's a little tiny town on the coast of Oregon that most people just drive through on their way to somewhere else, right? We've got our big like if you come to Oregon coast, you're going to Cannon Beach or Seaside, you're not going to Waldport. But Waldport had a road. It was called Darkey Creek Road. Mm. And they decided to ask themselves, what's the story behind this road? Mm-hmm. And what they found out is there's there was a man who lived down that road a hundred more than a hundred years ago. His name was Lewis Southworth. He loved to play the fiddle. He wanted to come to the local church and they told him no. And so he would go and he would play his fiddle, you know, out in the fields. And so this is we're talking about one man in one community. And so the people of Waldport, Oregon decided that they wanted to raise money to commission a sculpture of Lewis Southworth, which they put in a prominent place in their town. They renamed the road. It's not Darkey Creek Road anymore. It's Southworth Road. And so I think tangible things like that are ways that we can look at history and we can begin to repair it and to say, okay, this isn't who we want to be anymore. We're sorry that Lewis Southworth wasn't valued and wasn't able to belong to this community. And we're going to turn a corner on that and becomes a different kind of community going forward. You know, what's really interesting, and I know other places are doing that, and I'm delighted uh, because we all use the term. We we could all pass by there, even as people of color and go Darkey Creek and not even think about what it means. But, you know. I, I want to just stress that it's wonderful to think about what's happening on the community level, but I love that you said what's happening in your church. Mm. And that's why. Because I see a lot of well-meaning good white people who mm-hmm. go to church every Sunday mm-hmm. who don't want to hear about race mm-hmm. in church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to pastor a predominantly white church. My My audience has probably heard me say this before. And I was told by one individual in church, it's okay for you to talk about race, but Sunday morning in the pulpit is not the time to do it. Mm. Well, if it's not the time to do it in the pulpit, when yeah. is the time to do it? Right. 
right? You know, what? and so the thing that I think about, and I actually used to attend this, this church um, before I eventually became uh, the pastor. And I remember when Senator Obama became president, mm. I remember going to church that Sunday and there was not one word about him mm. being president. Mm. And for me, it wasn't so much about what your politics are, mm-hmm. whether you're Republican or Democrat. Mm-hmm. This was historical. Mm-hmm. And there's no mention of it. Mm. That was troubling for me. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. So, so, so we have to like whitewash, literally mm-hmm. whitewash everything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that everybody in there would be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's outrageous. And so we we can start saying to people, as you're saying, like examine everything, examine your thoughts when your friends mm-hmm. bring over a black person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Examine yeah. whether you're worried about whether your child would date a a black or brown person. Mm-hmm. So that's why we have to start taking that look within. Yeah. And and so I so appreciate you just listing. What are the books that they that the kids are reading, and that we want our kids mm-hmm. to read? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All of that. So yeah, it's yeah, really- yeah. And you're right. The churches are places that are often silent, and I I I think that so much of the time silence is because of those things I named earlier: shame and fear. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird to me because church is supposed to be a place where we know that we're forgiven. Right. Like that's the whole point of church is to come to a place and say, like, yes, there's sin in the world and Jesus loves us and forgives us. I mean, that's the message of church. Right. And so But, but, but most people, most people. Who who are supposed to be Christian, right? Because I'm talking about a particular mm-hmm, group of people mm-hmm. here. If they were really following Jesus, as I preach about, Jesus was radical and revolutionary mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and would not have tolerated any of this. So mm-hmm, this is what I mm-hmm, find so, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah, we do have to take a quick break. And I do want to come when we come back, just re- really um uh have you to talk about this lament and repent mm, that you talk mm, about mm-hmm, yeah. because I think that's a part of, of yeah. this. We, we don't stay in shame because it's not mm-hmm. a purpose. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. So how do we, how do we lament about what we yeah. feel in yeah. a healthy way? We're going to come right back and continue our conversation with Sarah Sanderson. We will be right back. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify, your business today. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. 
Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with my guest today, Sarah Sanderson, who is the author of The Place We Make, Breaking the Legacy of Legalized Hate. Before the break, we were talking about, you know, forgiveness and that sort of thing. And and, and we're talking because the two of us are very steeped in in church. And so uh, obviously that that's something really important uh, in our faith journey. But you mentioned... um, You've mentioned, you know, in our our conversations about this need to lament. First, tell us what you mean uh, by the word lament. And then um, why is that so important? Yeah. Um, Well, I think of lament as naming what's wrong. And allowing you know it's not like emotions are on command but as emotions come to allow them to come because it is i mean there's there's so much to grieve and you know we see lament all through the bible the psalms of lament and different things just that naming what's wrong and even naming our own part in it. And I don't know, tell me what you think about this, but I think a lot about, we kind of, uh, we want to kind of shame white tears, the idea of white tears, you know, and I know that white people can cry for manipulative reasons or to make ourselves the victim. And that's not what I'm talking about, but I think white people need to cry more, (laughs) about these these the, the history and the present you know i mean it's it's a, a lot we need to allow ourselves to grieve mm. and then i think about the corollary you know i a lot of and tell me what you think about this i think a lot of black people will say like oh i'm not angry i'm not angry and I'm like well you know like it's okay for you to be angry, there's a lot to be right. angry about. So, like, right. if we could just allow people to feel their emotions, like white people need to cry, black people need to get angry. It's okay. Like, there's a and, lot. But, but so, okay, Sarah. Here's the thing: <clears throat> history is a part of why that happens, right? Yes, exactly. Particularly when white women have cried 
Yes. Our men have died. Yeah. Even even women have died, yeah. right? Yeah. And so yeah. that's why if we don't talk about yes. what's happened historically, we continue to have these relationships that are based on history. Right. And yet we're not supposed to think about history. Right. I agree with you that white people should be sorrowful about this. And that's mm-hmm. what the lament is, mm-hmm. the weeping and wailing. Mm-hmm. Be one of the wailing women that Jeremiah mm-hmm. talked mm-hmm. about because mm-hmm. you should be mourning yeah. the fact that so many lives have been lost and yeah. devastated because yeah. white people have actually been impacted by racism as well. It's yes. just that most white people don't know it and just kind of think about their privileges as mm-hmm. opposed to thinking about what you're missing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so thank you for, for for sort of sharing that that piece about uh, lamenting. Now, what do I think in terms of um, us being angry? I think that yes, we should be angry in terms of there's righteous anger, there's an, you know indignation and all of this. Uh, I think the reason why people kind of talk about not being angry. It's because people just assume that we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, it's the white woman's tears and it's black women's anger. Right. I, mm-hmm. I used to do a, um, a workshop around that because people, mm-hmm. we're not smiling. Mm-hmm. We're angry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is we understand racism so well that we also understand we can't walk around being angry all the time Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's not good for our souls Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because for us, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. our spiritual well-being Mm -hmm. is important. Even for people who are not even in church, our spiritual well-being is important. And if I walk around angry all the time, it's not going to do anything but kill me. Right. Right. But, you know, if I can use Beyonce for a minute, she say, you won't break my soul. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Trying to break mm-hmm. who I am. So mm-hmm. I think that's a part of 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 what happens. And so 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 it's interesting though, when white people do see us get angry, like in a protest, mm-hmm. then they're like scared and and, mm-hmm. and and but what they should, as this one woman said on a video, she said, You better be glad though that that basically we're not trying to get revenge. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. let us be. Let us mm-hmm. be able to mm-hmm. express mm-hmm. right our frustrations and our emotions, because right. that's what we want. To, we're not trying to get revenge, right. right? Right. And so, so what you're saying is true. There should be some crying and there should be anger, but it's important to understand why people are right. showing up the way right. they are. Right. I want to ask you though, really quickly, because I know um, we're going to be ending soon. So. There's the lamenting and getting all of that out. So what, what do you say about the repentance and accepting the forgiveness mm-hmm. or, or, or let me ask it a different way. How do you forgive yourself? Because you talked about people being in that shame mm-hmm. and I find mm-hmm. that people hold on. So, so talk to me about forgiveness. Hmm. Hmm. So I recently was looking at the Lord's prayer where, you know, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray and he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I was thinking about that word debtors. It means someone who owes you something. 
right? It's not, we're not talking about like somebody who just bumped up against you and like, whoops, it was an accident. Like, oh, I forgive you. It's like, no, this person owes you something. They should have treated you differently and they didn't. Mm. And so like, when we talk about forgiveness, I think it's an important first step to acknowledge, no, there's something wrong, you know, whether it's, whether we're forgetting some, forgiving someone else or forgiving ourselves, like, it's okay to say, like, I did something wrong, um, to be honest about that. But then I was thinking about, you know, how do we forgive someone who owes us something? It's really not possible unless someone else has given you the thing that they owed you, right? So that's why it's so important to know that we receive love from God, because when we know that we have received all the riches that God is giving us in the heavenly realms, then we're, we're rich enough to forgive someone who owes us something. So, so let me say something about that then, because of course, you know, I preach a few things about forgiveness mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. and again, but the thing that I want people to understand, forgiveness though, does not require me to buddy up with you. No, no. You've done something and you've hurt me. And I think that all too often uh, people want us to go mm-hmm. through this, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Well, can't you just forgive us and just, keep moving. Yeah. Well, yes, I can truly, truly forgive you, but God also doesn't require me to be silent about the inequities that and 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 to let it be life as usual. Right. Sarah, you know, we're running out of time here and I just wonder before, before we end by you giving us some words of inspiration here, is there anything that you want to say to our audience that you feel like you haven't said that you want to make sure that you get it. Um, I think I just want to speak to the fear. I, I know that a lot of white people think, well, I don't know what to say, or I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. Um, but it, this is, <laughs> this problem is ours to solve, Right white people made this problem and as white people we have the opportunity and the holy privilege to step up and yes we're going to say the wrong thing sometimes but we can't let our fear hold us back because these problems are still happening on our watch so step up sarah i want to thank you so much for your time on the show tell people how they can get in touch with you so I have a website. It's www.sarahlsanderson.com. And that's a Sarah with an H. Um, and you can drop me a line through that website and I would be happy to hear from you. Yeah. That is so great. Now, give us some words of inspiration. All right. Here's my blessing for you all, dear listeners. May you know deep in your soul that you are beloved. Where you have received hurt, may you be healed. Where you have caused hurt, may you know that you are forgiven. And as you go forward into this day, may the steps that are yours to take reveal themselves to you. And may you be filled with the courage to take them. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for that. Sarah, I want to thank you for being a guest on my show today. 
I want to thank you for all the wonderful insights. Thank my listeners. And please do, listeners, go out by the book, The Place We Make Breaking the Legacy of Legalized Hate. There's wonderful information for you. And it might encourage you not just to write your own book, but to get out there and to change the world. Stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. Are you a high-achieving, growth-oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mara Bronku, host of The Hard Skills on talkradio.nyc at 1 p.m. Eastern on Fridays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to The Hard Skills on Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.